Hello and welcome to Five Alive. It's absolutely awesome to have you with us today where we are continuing to talk about how we grow in Christ and how we continue to seek after him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Today's topic is godliness. When I say godliness, what comes to your mind? Acting like God or enacting God. Pure humility. Niceness. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Blair has brought up the cleanliness is next to godliness phrase that we have heard so many times, I'm sure, in our lifetime. Have you ever heard cleanliness is next to godliness? Yeah. I've also heard wash your hands and say your prayers because Jesus and germs are everywhere. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So this is not found in biblical scripture, but it is rooted in ancient Babylonian and Hebraic history. It was understood to be an expression specifically during the Black Plague. It regained its popularity with Sir Francis Bacon. The phrase has even been used in advertisements here in India on billboards asking people to keep Chandigarh clean, keep Mahali clean, keep our city clean. Cleanliness is next to godliness. However, as a general rule, we all normally like to take a bath, like to smell clean, like to keep our houses clean. Here's a funny one. We like to wear our slippers over our dirty feet in order to go to the bathroom because we think that's going to keep our dirty feet clean. And we refuse to touch trash because it's unclean. I can't touch trash. It's dirty. That's gross. Does this mean that we are showing godliness when we don't touch trash? Does this mean that we're showing godliness when we've walked outside with our thongs on, our slipper, with our uh, sandals on, and we've gotten, we've walked through all kinds of dust and germs and who knows what else on the road, but yet when we walk into our own house, we take those sandals off and we put on another pair of shoes without washing our feet. Are our feet really clean? No. But for some reason, we think they are as soon as we put the new shoes on, the new sandals on, our house shoes or our house slippers. But does that make us godly? No. Or is godliness not only a condition of our outside appearance, but also a matter of the heart? Sure. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Elaborate on that. How is it more than just our outside appearance? How is godliness a matter of our heart? The reflection that you show on the outside should be the same on the inside. Yeah, very good. Thomas Merton said in his book, New Seeds, If we deny ourselves in order to think ourselves better than other men, our self-denial is only self-gratification. That's a pretty telling statement, I believe, by him. We do not detach ourselves, in another statement, from things in order to attach ourselves to God, but rather we become detached from ourselves in order to see and use all things in and for Jesus. I think these are pretty interesting statements because we do get those children's songs, especially in Christianity, that say, or those rhymes, garbage in, garbage out, and those kinds of things. But the reality of what Thomas Merton is bringing up here is is that the things that we have involved in our lives isn't what causes us to sin 
or to be ungodly. What it actually is, is are we allowing those things to cling on to us because we're surrounded by things all the time. And Thomas Merton was an ascetic. He was a person who actually went and separated himself from all people and lived as a hermit. And yet he still recognized the importance of the fact that when we are not living as a hermit, completely separated from everyone and everything else, Everything that is in this world can be used in order to glorify God. It's only when it attaches onto us and that becomes our very need of breath and life that it replaces God, becomes an idol, and there before becomes sinful. Because yes, we can use things for godliness. I believe the outside appearance of a person can often reflect their inner heart. However, there are exceptions to this rule because making your heart the primary location to be found godly is very important, yet people on the outside can be clean. They can look well put together. They can present a good face or a good mask or a good facade, and yet on the inside, their heart is ghastly in appearance and ugly. By this matter, godliness being a matter of the heart, this means only two people can judge your heart. God can judge your heart, and you can judge your heart. Other people cannot necessarily judge a book by its cover, if you will, or look at somebody and go, wow, that is a really godly person. How do you know? I can tell by the way they look. That's not a very good way of describing things. I've got another uh, description for you. I'm eating pakoda because it's raining outside. The onion that made that pakoda is washed. The milk is fresh that the onion is then placed into. The flour that the milk-laden onion is then placed into is a clean product. It's not dirty. The oil that it is then placed into in order to fry up that pakoda is fresh oil. There's no dirt in it. It's completely all clean. The pakoda is then placed onto a clean plate with some sauce. The, the pakoda is completely clean, and I put it in my mouth because it's clean. The taste is good. My stomach likes it and wants more. My mind says, oh, get me some more pakoda. However, if in the moment that I am eating that pakoda and I drop it and it falls onto my shirt or trousers, especially if it's covered in sauce, what happens to my shirt or trousers? They become dirty. So my hands are clean. The pakoda is clean. The sauce is clean. The plate was clean. The process to make the pakoda was clean. Everything was clean. What made the pakoda dirty that it then soiled or dirtied my clothes? The oils inside of the pakoda and the oils inside of the sauce as well. How did that make it dirty? It was clean enough to go inside of my mouth. But then it stains your clothing, which is different from the inside of your body. But how about the process of the fact that what we look at as something that is clean is clean enough to enter into the inside of our body can be dirty on the outside. And so therefore we have what we call a paradox here, don't we? How do we understand godliness if the outside of a person can look very godly, yet the inside of their heart can be so wretched? How do we understand godliness for ourselves in that moment? Or vice versa, what if the heart is completely pure, completely clean, completely loving, completely holy, and yet the outside for a moment, maybe because the person got sick, or because the person had a rough night, or because the person was up praying all night, or the person was up praying for somebody all night, they look disheveled, 
Can we look at that person and go, oh man, that's an ungodly person, even though all of their actions leading up to the moment when we see them were 100% godly. When we saw them, just because they look disheveled, we think, oh, that person's not godly. And so therefore there's a paradox. So what's going on inside of our heart to lead us to godliness and what's going on on the outside to lead us to godliness have to somehow be combined together. And the truth must come from nowhere else in this world because lots of people love to talk about how our outside appearance needs to be, how our heart needs to be. But the reality is we can only find truth in God's scriptures, which is found in the Bible. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at a few passages of scripture today, one of them being John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, You will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In Christ, we are free from sin's hold on our lives. We are freed from our past. We are free to think good, pure, and positive thoughts and live a good, pure, and positive life. You now have the ability and the assistance from the Holy Spirit to control your actions, to control your words, and to control your thoughts. You have the opportunity, the privilege, and the freedom to become and to be called a child of God. And therefore, in Christ, you are godly. Now let's describe this a little bit more. Let's look at a couple more passages of scripture, ask ourselves some questions, and see how much more I can continue to train on my mind and my thoughts to equal exactly the transformation that Jesus has made in my heart to make me godly. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being... Found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What is Jesus's attitude, according to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 8? He gave up all and became a servant. Mm. So he, humility. Humility, yeah, total humility. Is humility something that is looked at as a good thing in the 21st century? No. It depends upon the audience you're around true like if you're with your like best friends and then you randomly fall over they'll probably fall over with you because they don't care and then if you're with someone that judges you and you accidentally trip and fall they'll make fun of you and then you feel bad yeah yeah absolutely so yeah i mean if you're with people who love you they love the fact that you're humble yeah Mm -hmm. that's very true very true so how do we practice humility at all times, especially when people around us would make fun of us, take advantage of us, maybe even try and utterly destroy us for being godly in humility. The biggest thing is just being who you are 
at all times. Like not being someone different at work, not being someone different when you're in your car, not being different when you're out in the market, not being different when you're even inside of your own home, not being different when you're around this certain set of friends or this certain set of coworkers or these types of family members. But just being true to yourself and allowing you to be you and not conforming to what you think the environment that you're in wants you to be. Our next passage of scripture is found in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 7. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. What are we to set our minds upon? What are we to think about? Things above, ungodly things. Well, what are things above? Like, that can be kind of confusing. Like, the ceiling, the fan. I mean, we're supposed <laughs> to think about the clouds Heaven. all the time. We're supposed Ooh. to think about the atmosphere. Like we're supposed clouds. to be, think the about mountains. the fact that Elon Musk has a car floating around in outer space. He does. We're supposed yeah, to think about aliens. Cool. Like, what are we supposed to think about? Right. But when we say think about things that are above, what about the person who's very analytical of that kind of a statement and they would say what am i supposed to think about star wars possibly happening outside am i supposed to think about aliens like no when we say think about things above what is that referencing what is that referring to it's referring to things of that are holier or higher minded than what is of the world Mm -hmm. and so whenever scripture says think on things above it's basically asking us to contemplate scripture and think on what it means to be a follower of Christ and I mean a follower of God in that and so think on the things that God wants us to do and not just the Ten Commandments because there are multiple commandments in scripture and so we're to think on those and study them and learn about them and so that's whenever he says think on things above and not on things of the earth he's talking about think on things that portray to heaven or striving for being in heaven Mm -hmm. as opposed to thinking only on things of this earth. Yeah, absolutely. Albert Richardson wrote a book called The Kneeling Christian, and he describes prayer, which when I'm thinking on things above, I normally don't do that when I'm just walking around, looking at things all around me. Usually I do it when I'm in an attitude of prayer. And so I think prayer, like our lives, and then this is the quote from Albert Richardson, cannot be made right by the addition of some mystic phrase or some mystical action. And a right prayer or a right lifestyle does not fail if some such word is omitted from my life or some a mystical action is omitted from my life. No, it is more than a question of the words and or actions that I do. God is thinking about our faith and facts much more than about some specific formula. The chief object of my life is to be a person of prayer and to glorify my Lord Jesus Christ. And the chief object of my life in order to obtain godliness is also to have godliness in the facts or in the manner of Jesus Christ, our Lord. He also goes on to say communion with God is essential, 
before we can have real communion with our fellow man. And Albert Richardson's belief is that people seldom speak to other people around them, their neighbors or people they come across in the marketplace about their spiritual condition because we pray for other people so little. And so when it comes to thinking on things above, another situation here is, is not only thinking about obedience to Christ, but also how am I praying for my fellow man? How am I living in accordance with my fellow man? Do I think I'm better than everybody else? Do I seem esteem myself more highly than other people? Do I say, oh my goodness, I'm glad I'm not so-and-so because if I were them, oh man. Or are we living our lives with a pure heart that is reflecting on the things of what Christ's life reflected and bringing him glory. So a personal question for us to reflect on before we go on to the next passage of scripture is this. Is your heart full of or reflecting any of the descriptions found in Colossians 3, 1 through 7? Next passage of scripture is Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest whatsoever things are just whatsoever things are pure whatsoever things are lovely whatsoever things are good of a good report if there be any virtue and if there be any praise think on these things those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me to do and the god of peace shall be with you when it comes to godliness and what we just read in philippians chapter 4 6 through 9 what are the qualities that we exhibit in our lives these things that are from above that are now reflected in our lives they're the whatsoever phrases oh true honest just pure lovely and good report yeah not only do we act on these things, but we meditate on these things. When, when I talk about truth, is that something that is easy to meditate on? It's easy to meditate on, definitely. Because do you want to be a man of truth or a woman of truth? Or do you want to be f- filled with lies? And so I think it's easy to meditate on. Okay. Because for me, I, I want to be a person of truth. Yeah, absolutely. But not everybody does, do they? No, I'm not saying that they do, but I know personally for me, I, I don't, I don't want to be somebody that's known for lying because mm. with lying you gotta always keep up with the lie. Right. That's hard. That's time consuming. <laughs> not time for that. So that's why, I, yeah, I like to meditate on being a person of truth. Yeah, definitely. What about those noble things? Uh, society has labeled nobility in a different way than it was just a century ago or two centuries ago. So when it comes to those things that are noble or of good repute, 
or are those things that we need to stand up for today? Do those things change century by century? Or is there a standard of nobility that we stand in accordance with in God's word, in godliness, in Christ for the 21st century? Just a noble standard technically has always been. I mean, though through centuries people changed the standard, but nobility has originally always had the same standard. Could, could you describe it for us? Uh, so all I can think of chival- is right now is chivalry, which is completely Sh- different. Chivalry, uh, I mean, it, it can be, but it is a noble quality to be yeah. chivalrous. So when we talk about chivalry, let's just take that one thing, because we don't want to be here all day, right? True. So with chivalry and, and nobility, combining those two things, what, what do you think about? Mm-hmm. Or what are the qualities that need to express themselves through you as a young man? Qualities of being noble is... And chivalrous. And chivalrous is to respect other people. Okay. And treat everyone right according to chivalry. And being noble is you're not supposed to start a fight unless it's like you need to or anything like that. Like you stay calm until everything is... Escalated. Escalated, yeah. You always try to do right. You're always doing your best to do everything correctly. By everybody. By everybody. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. You're not you're not like picking and choosing. Okay, I need to make sure that this guy likes me more because he's rich, and this guy hates likes me more. Or I doesn't I don't care about this person because they're poor. But you want to have everybody in chivalry. We want everybody. Yeah. To like to us. be equally treated. Yes. Doesn't matter what color they are. No. Doesn't matter what their hair color, eye color. No. Doesn't matter what their background is. No. Okay. So to nobly treat others mm-hmm. is to live according to this, right? Yes. Anything else? To act with authority, but at the same time, be humble and act like a servant. Mm, that's a great point. All right. Whatever things are just, how do I act in justice? The definition of justice is not what human, I mean, we have human justice, but that's not what it's asking us to act in here. And so we're not supposed to always claim for our rights and our justice because justice must be served. Because God is the full determiner of what is just and what is not just. And so in order to act in justice, we are to trust in God and act in Him. And that is how we act and, ju- and think on justice in that way. Because what man may see as injustice, God may see as it needs to happen for this reason. And so it may seem unjust to everybody else, but it's truly a just action. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Great description. Like your definition there, Xavier, with just being reasonable. Hmm. Um, and I, when I think of a person of reason, it's just hearing another person out of, you know, maybe what they're, they're going through or whom they are as a, as an individual and not always having to push my agenda on someone else, but being a person of reason by just listening. Yeah. Absolutely. The The thing I was going to skip ahead to was just to go ahead and hit the whatever things are of good report, because we've talked about loveliness before and purity. Um, but what about this good report stuff? Like we turn on the TV, we hear such negative news of all kinds of crazy things going on, right? We've got the Afghanistan thing going on. We've got farmers protests going on. We've got uh, people protesting masks or not masks or protesting vaccination or not getting vaccinated. We have all of this news and these aren't really good reports, are they? No. So how do we 
focus or how do we meditate on or how do we live our lives on things of good report when there's just so much negativity out there? We focus on uh, what the Lord has done. <laughs> Look what the Lord has done. <laughs> <laughs> but to focus on things of good report is to do that, is to see, like, it's sad whenever someone, you know, is affected by an illness or something like that. But at the same time, whenever they recover, we shouldn't focus solely on the illness and the fact that they've had it and keep bringing up the fact that, oh, well, they had this illness or, oh, they overcame this illness. And that, that goes for any illness. That can be the flu all the way up to cancer or anything like that. But instead, move past to the fact that this person survived that. And that's the report that we need to be focused on. It's not the fact that they went through this struggle and we always need to keep put, bringing up the struggle that they went through. Instead, we need to be grateful for the fact that they survived through mm -hmm. that struggle and focus more on the good report as opposed to what happened in the past. Okay. I think it's very important for us to be practical in the way we are discussing things, not to the point where everything is just so fantastical in our descriptions and talking about things. Because have you ever been around the person that there is just, they seem naive and they also seem very impractical because the way they talk is just everything is so good all the time that you almost think that they don't live in the world that we live in. And so is like they are overindulging on the good report side of things, right? They're like, because you know that that's not real. I mean, in your mind, you're like, okay, they may be talking this way to me, but there's no way they're doing this 24 seven. Like when they go home, they're probably somewhat depressed or something like that. Like we know in our hearts that that's the situation. So when I'm focusing on a good report, I need to bring in all of the information because that's the part of truthfulness, right? I need to understand the truth. I need to know what's true. I need to be noble in the way I do it. I need to be just in the way I'm having an understanding. My purity and my loveliness need to combine together with the good report. And sometimes practically the good report is not always something that just is benefiting and blessing everybody. Sometimes the good report is something that's not a benefit in the terms that we think of, oh, I'm blessed. Sometimes the good report is, okay, this tragedy has befallen me. It struck. And now the good report is, as Xavier brought up earlier, is, okay, I'm going to take this moment. And as I walk through this struggle, I'm going to trust in God. That's the good report. It's just walking in faith. And when people say, oh, are, how are you handling this bad situation that you're going through? We don't dwell on the negative side of it. And we don't go and over-positivize it so much. I just made up a word, positivize. We don't over-analyze over it so much and just bring it with such glorious uh, ramifications that nothing could ever hurt us. And oh my goodness, blah, blah, blah. But we walk through life with practical reporting of exactly what's happening. And in the moment, even when it's a, something that would be bad or constituted as a negative thing, we continue to say uh, in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, and in our conversation, God is in complete control. And as a result, I have full trust in him. All right, next passage of scripture is Psalm 119, verses 12 through 16. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight, as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes and will not forget your word. 
So in my private and my public life, as a follower of Christ, as a Christian, how do I apply this verse? Focusing on the cross, focusing on Christ Jesus. Yeah. Are we doing our daily activities or even just our daily breathing? Are we focusing in on ourselves or are we focusing in on our creator? Hmm. What is our concentration on and who are we, who are we doing it for? Because, I mean, ultimately God created us. He needed us perfectly inside of our mother's womb. Each and every one of us, whether we like our moms or not, for giving birth to us or not, it's, I mean, what a joy of a miracle birth that everyone has. And we were born literally for such a time as this mm -hmm. for a reason and a purpose. And that is, you were not born in vain. Yeah, you're exactly right. We are not born in vain. We have a purpose. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So the question is, what thoughts can distract even the most devout person, according to this passage of scripture especially, but even what you maybe have uh, seen in your life? I think just kind of knowing like your history, your your lineage, your genealogy of who am I and where did I come from? And now there's all these tests that you can just send in your blood samples and find out your past. And so, sometimes these reveal past murderers. Sometimes these reveal, you know, people that that have just caused harm to society, to society. And in that, do I really need to know all that to know who I am and what my destination is to be in life? I mean, I've heard stories upon stories of, you know, my upbringing of who my grandfathers and grandmothers and great grandmothers and great grandfathers and who they were and who they are in life. And some were good. Some had really good stories and some were awful stories. Uh, some were given a short amount of time here on this earth. Others live long, live long and hard and worked hard all their lives. But if I base myself on someone in my family from the past that, oh, now that's who I'm going to be like, that's not really fair to myself hmm. because I'm not them. I wasn't born the same exact day, the same exact year as they, they were. And as I, I mean, as I already said. And even if you were, you're a different person. Right. Yeah. So discovering who I am and my talents outside of my bloodline, you know, yeah. so to say. Not allowing my genealogy to define me, but yet we've seen before mm -hmm. people who are very devout Christians that discover some part of their historical genealogy to tear them down mm -hmm. and to destroy them. Sure. Because you just, you hold those things over them and like, whom you're born into, you know, like I come from a divorce background. Well, because you come from a divorce background, then you're no good. And no, as far as godliness. Yeah. Right. And no one would ever want to have anything to do with you. 
because you don't even know what it's like to be in a stable marriage, uh, you know, growing up as a child. Right. And just all these odds of statistical things that are against me that it can play with the mind. Sure. It can be, am I supposed to be like this? Well, when I hit this certain age, am I supposed to be like that? Because, you know, statistically, the world is still saying that I should be acting like this. You know, if I have never had an active father in my life, then I need to be wild and uh, very loose with my sexuality and or polar opposite of hating men and liking yeah. women. Am I allowing these things to define who I am or am I really keeping my eyes focused in on the Holy Bible and mm -hmm. daily practicing reading his scriptures and applying God's word to my life and living it out loud? The last part of verse three and the first part of verse four says also to teach no other doctrine than the doctrine that has been given to us through the Bible and to not heed other fables or mythologies, if you will. And we're not talking here about Greek mythology or Hindu mythology or Buddhist mythology or even Jewish mythology or uh, Muslim mythology. We're talking about all mythologies in general. But, you know, there's something that's been crazy over the past all my life that I've come into faith in Christ is I've heard some of the most wildest modern day mythologies that you would have ever heard. I was in a prayer service and the Holy Spirit fell on us and every one of us that were in that service got a gold tooth. And that proves that the Holy Spirit was there. Is that truthful or is that a mythology? Is that a fable? A fable? Definitely a fable because I have never run into anybody that actually had they'll and sometimes I've heard people preach this. Oh, I was in this prayer service and we looked up and there was gold dust floating all over the room and we just knew we knew that God was there in that moment. Or oh wow, I found a feather over here. This feather, this feather, it must be, it must have been that there was an angel actually in this room protecting us from the enemy because while we were in this prayer service, and I hear this preached from pulpits, I hear this taught in services where the Sunday school teacher or where the teacher is actually trying to teach something of God's protection, guess what? That's a fable. It's fable. It's mythology. You found a feather that fell out of a feather down feather pillow is what you found. Somebody was carrying it from the storage room into another room and it fell out of your pillow. Great job. You didn't find an angel wing that is a feather. I mean, come on. Let's go take it for DNA testing, as we talked about before. But these are the kinds of things that absolutely destroy. How about this one? This is another one that drives me nuts is let's go because Smith's Wigglesworth was a really big man of God. So let's go to where he was buried and let's pray that his spirit will come upon us. What kind of witchcraft is this? That's all it is, is witchcraft. It's mythology. It's bogus. There is no reason. It is destroying the real true doctrine that has been empowered unto us. And so it is something that I have seen in the end of the 20th century and in this 21st century destroy the church and its witness. And it makes people look like they're nuts. And I am not going to share Christ with somebody when I look like I'm nuts, when I look like I'm a total fruit, when I look like I'm completely po like I am not crazy. 
Jesus is real and I don't need gold dust, a gold tooth, a feather. I don't need to go pray at some dead person's grave to have their power come over me. What hogwash that is. There is nothing found in scripture that talks about those kind of things other than when Saul went and sought the witch of Endor and he submitted his life into witchcraft and I am not going to be a person who follows after witchcraft because specifically the Bible says it's an abomination. And so therefore to live my life godly and holy, I stay away from such things. You know the thing like you were saying that gold dust and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. I remember this person, he was like a leader of something. No idea what he was a leader for. Right. But he was saying, he was like, oh, this is a holy night because uh, we had this one night at camp, which is the holy night. And he was like, and I saw everybody as jugs in the Holy Spirit rocking around the room, filling us up with water. And I'm like, you imagined us as jugs? <laughs> Maybe he was a little perverted. <laughs> <laughs> These mythologies are destroying the church. Let's focus on godliness and seeking after him. Right, Mallory? Yeah. And the biggest thing that we've always encouraged our our children or even people in general that we've had the opportunity to speak into their lives is compare these words to scripture hmm. and if scripture isn't saying it don't believe it right if somebody is speaking ill over you if it doesn't measure up to what the word of god is saying about you or saying to you you got to dismiss it yes do not cling on to it it destroys it the godly really hurt yeah all right, we have two more passages of scripture. The second to the last one is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 21 through 26. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as wholly useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace all along. With those who call on the Lord, Form a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So how can we avoid becoming a religious person who does not know the Savior? We pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. We also avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. All they do is make people fight, and as a servant of God, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, however you want to put it, we are not people who fight. Oh, but... What about the Crusades that were back in the thousand, you know, 1000 AD? And what about the Christians who fought in this war and this war and this war? Were they always led by Christian leaders? No. No. Did sometimes people take the name of Jesus in vain so that that way they could lead people to accomplish what they wanted? And they even maybe even called themselves Christians, even though they were a king or they were a ruler so that that way they could destroy their opponent? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's what happened. So we can't always say that that's the way Christians reacted. Go ahead. Um, sometimes Christians, like, you know, you saying that, oh, they're going to bring up that 
Christians fight in these wars back in the days. Yeah. Well, you know, like some people that are Christians, the only reason why they would fight in the wars, they knew that it wasn't right, but they wanted to honor their king because they're supposed to honor the person that is above them. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of modern day Christians have taken that a little bit too far and they've taken this elitist mentality, if you ask me, where they think that they're better than everybody that's around them because they have a higher standard of some sort. Again, that is not a godly way of looking at things. We're not supposed to look at ourselves as more highly than somebody else. So if I'm in a room, I don't know, say having lunch with a family that is Hindu, and there's also a family from another country that is all Muslim, is it possible that though I'm a Christian, that we can all get along even though our religious background is different? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to have conversation with somebody who has a Buddhist background and Buddhist belief system? Can I make that person my friend to the point where their views and their values don't affect or intimidate me from following after Christ with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength? Yes. I most certainly can. I'm not looking for quarrels and for strife and to always butt heads with somebody. Instead, I'm constantly looking for a way in which I can honor my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And one of the greatest ways I can do that is, as I read earlier uh, in this podcast with Albert Richardson saying, my communion with God is essential for my relationship with my fellow man. And if I'm having a communication, if I'm having a relationship, if I'm having a friendship with somebody that's a different religious background than I am, Am I praying for them? Because if I am praying with them, if I am praying for them, if I am actually putting my hands on them and praying over them, my heart changes and their heart changes equally. And that's how we exhibit godliness. Book of Psalms, the whole eight verses, one through eight, 101, Psalm 101. I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. O then wilt thou come unto me. I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside it shall not cleave to me. A forward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person who so privily slandereth his neighbor. Him will I cut off. Him that hath a high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. Mine eyes shall be upon a Falseful, no, upon the faithful mm-hmm. of the land that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all the wicked doers from the city of the Lord. Two questions. What do you need to avoid? 
And whom do you need to look to? You need to avoid sinners and look to God. So specifically, I need to avoid sin, allowing sin to enter into my heart. Does that mean that if I'm out and about and some sinful enticement is out and about around me, that I give into it? No, absolutely not. I flee from it. But does that mean that every time I go out or every time I'm in my house, that there will not be an opportunity for something to entice me? No. Absolutely not. Obviously, I live in the same world you live in. And there are just as many enticements out there for me as there are for you. The reality is that what we've got to do is we've got to put them to the side. We've got to allow God to become, Jesus specifically, to become more alive in me today than he ever has been before. And that is the way that my heart will be purified and become godly and my outward appearance will also be godly. I will be able to walk down the street and people will be able to see me and they will be able to know that I'm a godly person. I will be able to look into the eyes of somebody and they will be able to look into my eyes and they will be able to see Jesus inside of me. When I speak words, those words will come out of my mouth and they will be an encouragement and a Christ-like encouragement. Is encouragement always positive? No. No, sometimes encouragement is correction, isn't it? Yes. And so therefore, there's even those moments that will happen. Does that mean that I will make everybody happy and want to be around me at all times? No. No. I don't think everybody always wanted to be around Jesus. Yes, he did have large crowds around him, but at the same time, he had people plotting to kill him. So we've got to remember that balance that comes with godliness, especially in the world in which we live. And this world is not the world that God is going to keep for us forever. But instead, there is a new heaven and there is a new earth that is coming in which we will be able to abide with God at all times, never forsaking him, never crying, and always avoiding temptation because it will no longer exist. Is there anything else you guys got to say about godliness? All right, let us close in prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for today and for every single day and that everyone will be faithful unto the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions, comments, anything you want to add to us as a podcasting body, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter. You can even email us on the email address that's been provided in the link with your podcast. Five Alive out.